My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua. I am your host, and I am your fellow financial freedom fighter working with you and sharing some of my own journey on this quest towards financial independence, hoping to uh, help you, to teach you, to encourage you, and also just to share from my own adventures along the way. Thrilled to report to you that I am broadcasting from on the road, officially out of the state of Florida. Uh, My family and I are officially into our long-term full-time RV trip around the United States. And <laughs> what a what a past few weeks it has been. It has been quite the adventure. But one of the very important principles under which I create Radical Personal Finance is to share with you the good, the bad, the challenging, etc. I have never hidden from you really anything. I have never tried to uh, create a facade of, of, of any sort. I've tried to share with you very transparently and forthrightly uh, a little bit about my own journey because for me, Radical Personal Finance has been uh, both a professional endeavor and a personal journey. It's been a personal tool. It's been uh, really a personal uh, hobby. And I'm very grateful to be able to share that with you. So today, I will primarily share a narrative with you, a little bit of the story of especially the last few weeks as we have set out and faced uh, big challenges in getting out the door on our own financial, uh, on our own trip, uh, kind of the fulfillment of us living our rich life now, while also working towards and continuing to to trot down the plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. And so today that relates to our travels. On the most recent show, I shared with you that a week before we were scheduled to leave, or excuse me, five days before we were scheduled to leave on our full-time RV trip, uh, (laughs) when we were mostly moved out of an apartment and told our landlord when we were out and were mostly moved into a travel trailer and really had no stuff, all of a sudden our tow vehicle, our pickup truck, was stolen and uh, wound up in really a serious shape. And so that that has been quite the wrinkle and it has utterly consumed the last two weeks. So thank you for your patience with me. Thank you also for patience over the coming months. You're going to hear me broadcasting from many locations. It is extremely challenging to find a place to work when you're on the road and when you record audio. So I've done my very best to have top of the line equipment and to find quiet places. But thank you for your patience. You're going to hear me. I'm going to hear all kinds of funny things in the background. Today, I worked and worked. And right when I'm ready to record, the wood chipper started it up. So (laughs) there's a wood chipper in the background. So to the story as to how we've actually gotten on the road. And I want to share the story with you. And I want to also use it as a loose way of discussing a principle that I practice. And I try to break the model of good, fast, and cheap. Uh, Think of the sign that you've no doubt seen in your mechanic shop that says you can have your work done good, you can have your work done fast, or you can have your work done cheap. Uh, Now, I love that sign because I think it expresses a truth, especially a truth as relates to really any kind of service 
that you are purchasing. Good, fast, cheap, pick two. You can get two of them, but you can't get all three. And I think one of the basics of finance is to recognize where you are in that triangle. Which two do you really need? And doing your best to always keep cheap in the mix. In the mix. Uh, because the more you pay, really, the more it costs you. And in general, anytime you can lower your expenses, the better. So that means that you have to play with either the good, and I think that's really problematic when buying things or services, or you have to play with the fast. And I think that's usually um, the best thing to play with. But I'll tell you what, I've had my back up against the wall last week. Uh, when you are a father of three small children, <laughs> all under the, uh, just a few years old, uh, and you have two dogs and your family has moved out of an apartment but not really moved into a trailer and that trailer is sitting in your driveway and you really it's not livable, you don't really have any amenities hooked up to it, it's just and it's stuck there and you don't have a vehicle to pull it with and all of a sudden you got to move fast to solve the problem so i'm going to share that story with you uh, one other point of introduction here though on good fast and cheap i modify this a little bit when i'm buying things because i don't think you have to choose between good fast and cheap when buying things i think you can find good i think you can find fast i think you can find cheap but the way i modify it when buying things is you can have fast cheap or exactly what you want, something unique, something specific. Because if, you'll be, if you're willing to lower your standards or lower your discrimination among certain items and be willing to accept a broader range of choices, you have more buying options. So I'll share with you a little bit of the story uh, because I think this will be similar to what you'll face whenever you're trying to work towards something unusual, when you're trying to work something towards something radical, and also keep money in under control because I'll tell you what, if I start to get money out of control, I just, it, it's tough for me to feel at peace. It's tough for me to feel content if the money's out of control. But sometimes you commit yourself to a course of action and all of a sudden you're sucked in deep and you feel like just the money is quickly spinning out of control. This is what many, many people face. And so I'll share the story with you. The concept of the RV trip goes back a long ways and, uh, and, it wasn't something that we wanted to do super important to us because of uh, a long-held plan or a long-held dream. It was something that just seemed like a really good move for our next step. And we don't know how long we're going to be on the road. Um, we tell people six months, it may be shorter, maybe longer, we don't know. But we just thought it seemed like the best next move for us and allows us to travel the country, to visit with you, uh, to do all kinds of cool things in the coming months. And so we've been pretty excited about it. I've been actively planning towards it for about a year. Now, when I have a goal, and I know that goal is going to require a lot of money, specifically, you've got to buy a rig, set everything up. Then I try to be as forward planning as possible. I try to look through the options because I really want to have something cheap and I want to have something good. And so I figured the easiest factor for me to control is to control the speed. And let me be willing to move slowly. Because if I can plan ahead by having long-range thinking, then I can move slowly and I can get good and cheap. That's how I usually try to solve that. As I figure the, the, the best thing for me to move is to, to move slowly and I can get good and cheap. So we started the process of putting together our traveling rig, our full-time RV. Now, I've long had a desire and a goal of owning an RV. And my wife and I, we bought one a number of years ago. And the first one we bought was a Class B van camper. I love Class B campers. I think they're the 
really one of the best options um, for people to consider. If you're unfamiliar with the lingo of, of the RV world, a Class B camper is basically a van that has all the camper stuff in it. Uh, and by a van, I mean a van. It has metal walls just like a van. Now, these have gotten longer over the years. They've gotten taller over the years. But if you can buy it as an empty shell of a van, the kind of van that a workman might drive, and then turn it into an RV, it's a Class B camper. Now, here's what's wonderful about Class B campers. They're small. And that means they're nimble. They're versatile. Now, in the world of RVing, bigger is not always better. When I was younger, I would look at the huge rigs, the big buses, and the big giant campers, and I would think, oh, they are so awesome. And they are awesome for certain applications. But for applications like I want to use, I want to be nimble. I want to be versatile. Uh, for example, you start getting uh, a rig that's much over 30 feet, and it becomes hard to fit into a lot of national parks, state parks, small little campgrounds. If you have a big, giant bus, it'll be so comfortable while you're sitting in a big parking lot. But that's about the only place it can go. It can't go into a little campground. It can't whip into a little side street, little back alley that looks interesting in a city while you're exploring. And so we loved the, the Class B camper. We had a lot of fun in it. We traveled, and we loved the travel of it. You can park in any standard parking space, which means that you don't have any size restrictions, and yet you have most of the comforts of home. You have to be a little versatile in having all those comforts at once because it's a small vehicle, but you have all the comforts at home. But we frankly just outgrew it. Uh, we took a trip with uh, two children, two dogs, two parents, but that was about the limit. We decided that we couldn't handle uh, a third child in that rig. And specifically, the problem was car seats, where to put car seats at night. Car seats take up so much room, and yet you can't just stick them outside very well uh, and taking them up and putting them down was a real hassle. So we decided, okay, next step is I want to have a tow vehicle that the car seats can stay strapped in full time. And so... I thought, well, you know, I'm Joshua. I'm Joshua Sheets. I'm, I'm a radical planner. So what's the best move? What I decided the best move was, was to buy a full-size van. And here was my theory. Full-size vans have a huge amount of interior space, which is wonderful when traveling with children. If you traveled with small children or if you are a small child, you can understand that traveling long car rides with small children is not the easiest thing in the world. And it's made a lot easier if you can have a few amenities, such as a little bit of space for attending to bathroom needs, such as a little bit of space for attending to food needs, a little bit of space for attending to entertainment needs, etc. So I decided that a full-size van could be fixed up to provide many of the amenities of traveling in an actual motorhome. Uh, you could remove one of the seats. You could have lots of space so the kids could get up and down. You could have a small portable potty in the car for them to use. You could have a cooler with snacks. You could have plenty of space for things. There'd be space for, for mom and dad, space for the children, space for the dogs, and plenty of space for cargo if I got a big 15-passenger van. Also, 15-passenger vans, especially certain brands, are rated well for good towing numbers. You could tow a 10,000-pound trailer, uh, and 10,000 pounds is a really workable number for a bumper pull travel trailer. You can, you can find almost any trailer for under that. Uh, and then also, I thought this was the best. This is great because it's going to be financially a real bargain. I consider full-size vans to be a wonderful bargain in the world of tow vehicles. If you look and analyze the marketplace, pickup trucks are in huge demand as tow vehicles and as just personal vehicles. People love pickup trucks. So because they love them, they're willing to pay a lot of money for them, which means it's hard to find them cheap, especially good ones. Same thing with SUVs. Most SUVs are in huge demand, so it's hard to find them cheap. 
good ones. But full-size vans are really built like trucks, especially the older ones that have the body-on-frame design. Uh, They're built like trucks. They're strong, and they're cheap. Nobody really wants them. The only people that want them are commercial companies. Most families don't want them. They just, what am I going to do with them? So they're they're cheap to buy. And so I thought, I've got the perfect solution. (laughs) We bought a full-size van, and I was was tickled pink. I only paid a couple thousand bucks for it. It had 190,000 miles, had a Chevy 350 V8. I was happy as a ubiquitous engine, very inexpensive to buy, inexpensive to maintain. Parts are everywhere, one of the most common engines on the road, uh, especially in the past. And so I just thought, this is going to be wonderful. Well, unfortunately, when we hooked up the camper, I couldn't get the thing over 51 miles an hour. Now, I don't know what the problem was. In the beginning, I thought it was an engine problem. The engine should have been able to do it. It really should have. So I did have some engine problems that I didn't find in the process of buying it. That was my fault. I did a bad job buying it. And then I also had some... Another some other problems. So I wound up sinking several thousand dollars into the thing, uh, which annoyed me because all of a sudden my great deal didn't turn out to be such a great deal. Uh, I think probably the major problem was gearing. The truck wasn't geared well uh, for towing, and I just was at that point. I was I was in it so deep. I just cut my losses and sold the vehicle and decided to, to move on. But I still had plenty of time. Uh, it was very early. This was a long time ago. And again, trying to buy good and cheap and giving up fast. So I switched to diesel pickup trucks. And I chose to buy. I was shopping for something that was between a 1999 and a 2002 Ford Super Duty diesel pickup trucks. That would be either an F-250 or F-350. And back to selection. Now, when I'm buying something, I try to figure out what do I have to have? Because if you even if you got to spend twice what you'd like to spend, at least if you get what you have to have, you won't waste your money. You will waste your money if you don't get what you have to have. So whatever your minimum requirements are, you got to meet those. But if you can be flexible on anything else, it'll open up the market for you. If you have to have a certain make, a certain model, a certain color, and certain amenities... Well, because your selection, remember I'm inserting the word selection for good here, very, very careful selection, because your selection is so specific, you're probably going to have to budge either on moving fast, you're going to have to wait a long time to find it, or you're probably going to have to budge on moving cheap. So I think that if I'm trying to maneuver through this triangle, if I'm willing to take a long time, and if I'm willing to be fairly liberal in the types of things that I can accept... I could get a cheaper deal. So with a pickup truck, my minimum requirements were very simple. I decided I was going to go with a pickup truck. It needed to be a crew cab because I needed space for my family, and it needed to be diesel. It needed to be this specific diesel engine. Now, that second one may not have actually been required. For example, Ford produces a V10 engine that, uh, for those years, was a great engine, uh, and it probably could do the job. But because I'd been burned, I was feeling a little gun-shy, and I, I felt like, I just can't take the risk again. I don't want to go through this again. The, our departure date is starting to move up on me. I need to just buy what I know will work, even if I have to pay a little bit more for it. But beyond that, I was totally open to anything. It had to be a crew cab. It had to be a crew cab. and had to be a diesel. and had to be a crew cab with a bench seat um, in the front or one that I could swap out. So I homed in on those, that, those years of the Ford 7.3-liter diesel engines. Um, it, those are the best engines for that are inexpensive and they basically do the job and they have the least problems. Now they're, they have their own set of problems. They're not as quiet. They're not as comfortable. They're not as powerful as some of the more modern ones, but at the end of the day, 
you know, a diesel pickup truck is going to get you 10 miles a gallon pulling you down the road, whether it's brand new or whether it's 20 years old. So a lot of that stuff, I don't really see the point of it. Uh, it's just got to have the power to get the trailer over the mountain. So I found a great truck. Uh, it was a great truck. It was basically, it was owned within a single family for all of its history owned since new, got a good deal on it. Um, everything was good. And I took time to fix the things that, that were wrong with it over time. And that was where we were. I bought the truck, bought the camper, et cetera. And the truck, everything was ready. And once I found the truck, the other thing that I found was I, I put a big topper on it. I had a big giant aluminum commercial topper on the back that I had shopped for and I got a great deal on. And that gave me lots of cargo space for all of the, uh, the traveling things. Until it got stolen. <laughs> and so the, the, the story of the theft was a little bit weird because it got stolen, but I actually found it the same morning that I found out about it being stolen. And I don't care to go into all those details, but I went looking for the truck and I actually found it. But unfortunately, it wound up being pretty hurt pretty badly. And this all of a sudden was when my family was moved out. And uh, again, out of the apartment, didn't really have a place to live. So now I'm back to the drawing board. And I really wrestled with what's the right thing to do. I knew I could go ahead and buy a newer truck. There were, if I were willing to spend 25,000 bucks, you can buy diesel pickup trucks in good shape that'll do the job all day long. But I didn't want to spend $25,000. I, I feel like it's dumb to spend. I'd rather, if I've, if I've got $25,000 to spend, I'd rather spend $10,000 or less on a truck and $15,000 on, on fuel and money for things while traveling than put it into the truck. I don't, I don't get the point of why people spend so much money on having the fanciest RV that just sits in the driveway. I'd rather have the cheapest RV that's out on the road. And you go and you use the thing up because they all break. They all fall apart anyway. So go and buy it. Get something that does the job. But then go and use it. Drive the wheels off of it. And then make sure that you actually have a bunch of experiences. Same thing with trucks. It doesn't make sense to me why I see $80,000 pickup trucks that basically sit at home all the time. And you go shop the market for RVs and, and trucks. And it's very sad. You talk to all kinds of owners who've bought these, these beautiful vehicles, new, uh, and they used them a dozen times. And now they're selling them. And I just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why not buy something that just barely does the, that does the job with sufficient comfort? Uh, for example, you do need sufficient comfort. You need to beat, meet your minimums, but then save all that other money for fuel and for going to things that you want to see. So that's been my kind of operating operating mindset. I'd rather have my goal originally was uh, to get the whole rig put together for under 10 grand. That proved not to be possible, although I thought it was going to be. If I had bought a slightly smaller RV, if I had a slightly smaller family, I could have done it for 10 grand. Um, the end of the day, then I put it for 15. And so total, I've got about 15 grand into the whole thing. And that leaves plenty of money for diesel fuel. That leaves plenty of money to to go to attractions and things like that. And that, to me, that just makes more sense than having the fanciest stuff that sits around and, and drains your bank account. Uh, so truck was stolen and then I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? How do I replace it? Now, having shopped the marketplace, I will tell you this, buying a specific used car fast and at a good deal is not easy. Because of my requirements and because of the fact that I was shopping anywhere from 16 to, what, 19-year-old vehicles, the market is out there. But the market for good vehicles is a lot smaller. You can go and you can buy a truck with 300,000 miles on it all day long. And there's some power to the argument to say that that 300,000-mile truck has a lot of life left in it. 
but it's tough to buy a really good one fast. So I started shopping hard and I shopped hard and I shopped hard. Now here are a few of the tactics that I've used to good success when, when trying to do this. If you're trying to buy something that's good, something that's cheap and that's fast, I already talked about the first tactic, which is be as flexible as you can on what you're actually trying to get. So my only two things were crew cab and a 7.3 liter Ford diesel engine that was post 99. The reason was that in 99, they made some changes to the mechanics of the engine. You can buy the older trucks, but they, they were problem. They're problematic now with getting, being able to get parts for them. They didn't have as much power. So a newer truck, but before 03, when they changed to the, to the, to the six liter engine, which again, can be a great engine, but has its own set of problems and is a little bit harder to predict. So beyond that, I didn't care. Two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, whatever. Um, long bed, short bed, don't care. Color, I don't care. But I needed to be in good condition. I needed to basically be ready to hook up and go. Now, in the used car marketplace, you can often get a deal on something that needs a little bit of work. And that's what I did the first time around. I had time. And so you get something. Anytime you get a new car, a used car, there's always going to be stuff that needs to be done. That's why it's being sold in the first place generally. So there's always... so. I bought it early, had time for it to sit at the mechanic. But now, <laughs> I, I got no place for my family to live. We're basically living out of a, a backpacks while we were traveling and, and doing some other things. Now, what do I do? So I shopped hard. So the first strategy was be open to, to different options. Second strategy is know your market. One of the things that I think makes a big difference is being able for you as a buyer to move fast. In any negotiation, when you're buying something, there are a few different things that you can negotiate. And they basically fall under the point of price and terms. So price is what most people only negotiate on. What's the actual price? And price matters. But you can also negotiate based upon terms. So the simple reality is sometimes if you're willing to buy fast, if you're willing to just to, to, to sign now, you may be able to get a better price or better terms because of your willingness to move fast. Well, my theory is this. If I know what I want and I have money, I can move fast. Other things involve things like having cash, uh, literal cash. When you get to vehicles of a certain market, there's a weird wrinkle in the, in the used car market that relates to financing. Most people that buy vehicles don't just pay for them. They buy them on payments. But financing companies will only insure newer vehicles with lower miles. So because those vehicles are open to financing, you find that there is a strong market for them and the prices are relatively high. People generally don't mind paying more when they can make monthly payments. And so newer vehicles have higher prices because financing is available. On the flip side, if you go down to the bottom end of the market, cars that are a few thousand bucks, those cars are affordable for many people. And so they generally move quickly. If they're good cars and they're a few thousand bucks, lots of people can put together a few thousand bucks for basic transportation. So it's hard in those markets to, 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 um, to differentiate yourself. Those markets are often very strong. Uh, there are lots of people buying. But there's a wrinkle in the middle where you're buying a vehicle that's beyond the financial capacity of the average person. The average person doesn't have $15,000, $20,000 that they can just write a check for. Um, so you have a smaller pool of, of, of competitive buyers that you're competing against. And also, those vehicles 
are they're not available for financing. And so you have a smaller pool of people who, who can't get the financing. And so there are good deals to be had in that marketplace where you get a great car that is has a lot of life left in it, but it's cheaper than than other options because you're moving with cash and you, you can compete in that marketplace. So file that in the way in the back of your mind for the next time you need a car. Um, I don't think everybody should drive $2,000 cars, but, on the, but there is a time at which vehicles are no longer financeable and you can get a good price discount there. So if you're shopping, in addition to being flexible on what you're actually willing to buy, if you can be knowledgeable enough to be able to move quickly, that can help you to get um, better deals. So this last week, uh, literally Monday morning, <laughs> Um, I finally decided I couldn't find anything that was reasonably priced, that was low priced, and that had good enough um, that good enough uh, uh, prices. So, sorry, uh, it's hard sometimes to broadcast outside because then you see more distractions than, than than inside. I couldn't find anything that was reasonably enough priced that had low enough miles that I thought it would be good to hook up and go. And because I didn't have time to go to have a, a vehicle sitting in the shop for a long time to get ready to go across the country, I was feeling pretty constricted. But, uh, so I decided on Monday morning, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and fix the truck I've got. The damage was significant. The insurance company totaled the vehicle. But it was also, I felt like it was largely cosmetic. And I figured, well, if I'm willing to drive an ugly vehicle, this could work out. I'll take a check from the insurance company. I'll drive the vehicle with a salvage title. And we'll just head out across the country. Well, um, on Monday morning, I came across a vehicle on OfferUp. Uh, I was shopping hard on, on in the private market, OfferUp, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook is also good for this. Sorry, not LinkedIn, Craigslist. Um, I have found over the years, after a long, being a longtime Craigslist shopper, I feel like Craigslist is losing its luster a little bit. I've often found a bigger selection on OfferUp and on Facebook Marketplace than on Craigslist. Um, so keep those in mind when you're shopping. But I found a vehicle that had just come online. And I met, went immediately to look at it, where <laughs> literally my wife and I drove our children across the state. We hadn't planned to leave in the morning, but I went to look at it and was able to work the deal. Uh, laid a stack of, of $100 bills on the hood and and um, walked away with a truck that is an older truck, but has very low miles. And it was just in great shape. Uh, but I only would have had the confidence to do it if I had been hardcore shopping. I'd looked at a lot of trucks. And that would be one of the things that I would recommend to you. If you're in a market, you need to be able to know what is available for you when you actually, you need to know your market and you can't know your market just from pictures. So what I've often found with used vehicles, you need to go and look at them. You need to drive them at least a little bit and you can start to develop an understanding of the marketplace. When you look at one that's $15,000 and you look at another that's $7,500 and you look at one with 300,000 miles and you look at one with 150,000 miles, you can start to understand the demand for these vehicles. You can talk with the seller and you can see them so that when it comes to the point at which you are ready to buy one, you can be confident in saying, yes, I'll buy. So shop hard. And that's one way that you can be able to move fast when the market is there. So thankfully, we got a truck. And um, that morning, I 
I thought I was. I had. I had decided I was going to fix the other one. Then finally, something came on the market. Went. It had just been listed. Went to see it immediately. Bought it immediately. And that evening, uh, was working on. I uh, had drove the new truck home. <laughs> Spent the next few days uh, cleaning it up. Uh, that's what occupied all of last week. But cleaned the truck up. Did a bunch of mechanical stuff. Changed the fluids. Changed the bearings. And you know, had my fingers deep in grease, just getting everything ready to to go on the road. But thankfully, it didn't need much. Uh, and uh, hooked it up and, and went. Now, here would be the flip side. Let me give you one more example where I haven't been able to find something yet. And that's related to a topper. Now, with our, for our purposes, one of the most important things about a pickup truck is being able to put a big topper on the back so that we can have essentially a garage and keep this, the stuff that we have out of, out, of the, um, out of the elements. And I have shopped and shopped and shopped the market for toppers. And I have not been able to find anything that was cheap and good, <laughs> cheap and appropriate for my particular needs and the specific things that I want without buying a new one. And I haven't been willing to buy a new one. I just didn't. So I, I said, well, we'll just hit the road without it and try to find one on the road. So I continue to shop. Uh, I continue to look for that. I haven't found one yet. But time will tell. Uh, and I think I'll find one in time. But it just goes to show that I'm not saying this formula, you can't always beat it. But it is pretty neat when you can. So that's the trip report so far. We are on the road. Uh, we're currently in Georgia. And um, we're currently in Georgia. We're heading quickly across the country uh, because our traveling season has gotten constricted. And once we get across the country, we'll probably slow down a little bit. But our traveling season and, and the time of, of year has gotten constrained because of our late start. Uh, and I'll tell you what. It, last week was tough. I'm t- I was tired. Uh, <laughs> I've done the best I could, but a lot of things have suffered. Um, my business has suffered. Uh, I've had some unhappy clients, um, unhappy emails, and, and I haven't released a show in a little while. And, and, you know, that's life. You just do the best you can. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we just got caught in, the, in, a, in a tough spot. Uh, and it was really, it's very challenging. And so... Uh, I just want to encourage you. Not everything is all fun and roses. Even now, I'm not. I won't talk about even switching into a, a transferring into an RV. I won't talk about it for at least a month or a couple months, because one thing that that my wife and I have learned is stuff takes time to adjust to. Anytime you adjust to a new situation, it takes time. And I think one of the biggest things that I, that I, that we've learned that I'd encourage you to consider adopting is don't make don't make judgments on things until you've you've developed time. Don't make snap decisions. Uh, moving into the RV has been uncomfortable. It's still uncomfortable. Uh, but I know that in time it will be less uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it's been it's been crazy. Uh, just uh, the, the 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 logistics of it. It takes time to figure out where to put things, where to how to make things work. But it won't always be uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable now. So I won't make any decisions about is this working, is this not working for at least a month, a couple months. I vividly remember um, when my wife and I married, she had been living in a, a very small studio apartment that was very inexpensive. It was 234 square feet. And uh, after we married, I moved, we, we decided I moved into uh, uh, the apartment there with her. And I remember just standing in that little kitchen of that tiny little studio apartment and just thinking how unbelievably small it was and how this is never going to work. What, what were we thinking? You know, trying to fit two people into this tiny little apartment. What's wrong with us? Well, we wanted to save the money. It was a cheap deal, etc. But I just thought this is never going to work. But I put off judgment for a while. And after a few weeks, it was just normal, totally comfortable. 
Now, after we moved out of that apartment, we moved into a big old three-bedroom house. And I remember we looked at each other, and this house was huge. And we just felt like we were rattling around in this house. And after a few weeks, it felt totally normal. And that's been my experience in almost any life transition, any life change. It takes time to get used to it. So I'll, I'll share more about the trip in the future. I'm not going to turn radical personal finance into just a travel log. I want to provide things that are more useful to you rather than just sharing with my goals. But I also know that it is interesting to you. So that's the travel log. That's the story. So we're, again, very happy to say we're on the road. Uh, and <laughs> that's the saga. Thank you for your patience with the uh, uh, the intermittent, sh- the non-existent shows the last week and a half. I've, uh, I've missed you all. I've had fing- my fingers deep in grease. I've been running all over the state i've been wheeling and dealing trying desperately to, to put this thing together and not lose any more of the travel the travel season and uh finally we make it pro- made it made it clear so in summary just think of the good cheap and fast when you are making your next buying decision and I, again i encourage you um it's good to get good and again when buying things selection exactly what you want get something good get something cheap that usually means you will have to go ahead. You'll have to be a little bit ahead and move slower to be able to find what you need when you want it. Now, if your back's up against the wall, well, be willing to, to, to uh, adjust a little bit in what you're willing to accept. The more flexible you are on what you want, the bigger the marketplace is. The more selection will be available to you. Be knowledgeable enough Study your market. Understand what you're doing. Know the values of things. Be knowledgeable enough to go in. And when you see the deal, then you move fast. And always think about the terms in addition to the price. And figure out how can you make the terms work for you. Last point is this. When I bought the truck, I would have paid more money. Because money is worth different amounts at different points of time. When you have six months, and you're six months before you plan to leave, well, in that case, I would quibble over a couple thousand dollars. I would fight with somebody and I would, I would, I would negotiate and I would quibble and I would just take my time because it's a couple thousand dollars. But when I was in the situation that I was in, I would have paid more. Oh, thankfully, I'm so thankful I found a great deal, great truck. It's, it's uh, 100,000 fewer miles than my other truck and it's going to work out really well. I'm really, really happy with it. But I would have been willing to pay more. And the point is, Money doesn't always have the same value. So assess its value to you at a certain time. And hopefully you'll be able to work through the challenges. Nothing is easy. No big task, no big goal is easy. They don't come without challenges. And so I hope you can be encouraged by my, by my story that just know that just because you face challenges <laughs> doesn't mean you have to give up. Just keep fighting. Keep working through. Be back with you soon. Thank you for listening. You've honored me with your time and attention, and I'm grateful for that. And I hope that I've effectively served you today with some ideas and strategies and tactics and techniques and tools that will help move you towards your goals. Before you go, three simple requests. One, if there's an idea that's been helpful to you in today's show, make a plan to take action on it. Listening does lead to learning, but learning in and of itself doesn't automatically lead to a life change. It's action that leads to a life change. So take action. Two, take something that was helpful to you in today's show and share it with somebody that you care about. I'm depending on you to be a co-laborer with me in helping me to propagate the message that I'm seeking to share. That helps the person that you are 
engaging with. And it also helps you because teaching others is one of the most effective ways for you to learn and for you to cement your learning. Three, if there's an idea that's been specifically helpful to you, and if you're gaining financial benefit from radical personal finance, I'd be grateful if you'd consider paying me for this work voluntarily. Come by RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron, and you can sign up there to support the show at whatever level you feel is right for you. This is a voluntary support. That's my Patreon page. You can support me with a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, any number that seems right to you. But if you're gaining financial benefit from this show, and if it's achieving financial results in your life, I'd be grateful for your financial support at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.